Okay. All right. I'm uh, ready. I'm ready. ready. All right. Are, bitch. We're gonna do the countdown. You're just spicy tonight. Ready to do the countdown? Clap. Well, I, I'm. I'm talking. I'm talking about Dark Force Rising again. <laughs> well, here we go. Let's bring that energy to the show. Hello and welcome to the world's premier Star Wars literature analysis and uh, and and what is it? Analysis and and summary literary critique. The world's leading podcast of Star Wars literary critique, Thronderdome. I am your host, Dr. Daniel Dottie. Uh, with me, as always, is my intrepid co-host, Ronnie Gardaki. Uh, Ronnie, how are you feeling? Pretty good. I was, I was making fun of you early for uh, having uh, Poison Ivy. Yes, I do still have some very awful Poison Ivy rashes. This is the... I don't know how many ailments we're up to in the course of... See, this is... And listener, this is how you know we really care. This is how you know you're really getting a commitment on the part of uh, we talented content creators. I have been sick, I think, in some way or another, had some sort of malady or ailment for the entire time we've been reading this fucking book, Dark Force Rising. (laughs) Maybe that's why you're sick. It probably is. It's making me sick. And you know what? It did make me a little sick. But we're going to save that for later. It's a special episode today because we are rounding off. This is the end of Dark Force Rising. We've completed the second volume in the magnificent Thrawn trilogy by the incomparable Timothy Zahn. Um, In this episode, we're going to be recapping the last couple of chapters, the excited, thrilling conclusion... Uh, and then kind of we're taking a break from the debate segment this time, actually, to give us a little more space and room to talk big picture, talk about Dark Force Rising as a whole, where it fits in with the canon and the development of this saga. Uh, so I will save any commentary I have about what did or did not make me sick about it uh, for, for that portion of the show. But to, uh, I don't know, Ronnie, how do you feel about just jumping right into the recap so we can... We can finish off this story and then dig right into everything that disappointed us about it. I mean, there's not much to recap. These, this is, this counts about like 20 pages. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of incident. I ended up having three pages of notes, which, uh, typically I have five. Um, but you know, that makes sense. Cause it's just a couple chapters. One of which is barely a chapter but we'll 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 see how this all comes together if you recall from last time uh our heroes were in the standoff uh in the face-off at the site of the dark force the katana fleet the 200 uh almost fully automated dreadnoughts that have been lost 50 60 years back uh and uh, have been furiously chased after by both the new republic and thrawn's imperial remnant uh, as a way to bolster their uh, their their fleets, which of course have both seen uh, quite a bit of damage and destruction uh, over the course of the war, over these last five or so years since the events of Return of the Jedi, um, in the mid- in the midst of that uh, that confrontation, uh, Han Solo and Luke Skywalker and Lando Calrissian are on board the Katana, the flagship itself, where they manage to fire off one last salvo of its turbo laser batteries to obliterate some of the approaching uh, troop carriers that were have been launched by the Star Destroyer uh, Judicator to try to capture them. Uh, so we pick up at Chapter 28 with uh, Wedge in his X-Wing. Rogue Squadron, of course, accompanied them on this mission in their X-Wings. Um, we pick up Wedge at the moment Han fires off the Katana's turbo lasers. Uh, the dropship formation has been savaged, but it has not been stopped. And Luke asks for some help in taking down the remaining troop transports 
which could be carrying up to 300 soldiers. Uh, Wedge is reticent to break off from incoming TIE fighters, but just then, Gold Leader pipes into the comms, requesting permission to join the party. I didn't think Counselor Failia was going to let you come out and play. And that line made my skin crawl. <laughs> I, something about Counselor Failia letting someone come out and play. I don't want to imagine that guy as, as their mom. It, uh, it, it just strikes me as like fake uh, Top Gun-esque like camaraderie between people that while rights don't even know each other. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but, uh, but, of course, you know, Gold Squadron, this is, of course, uh, actually, the, this, the really the, the climax last time on the, the last uh, few chapters we we covered was uh, Counselor Failia pulled the uh, that ought to hold the little SOBs move and accidentally broadcast to the whole fleet that he has contempt for the military and they're just a, a, a rung on his ladder to power. So, of course, he has yeah, fallen so from favor. Yeah, so they sent him to his room. They sent him to his room, <laughs> and now Gold Squadron is going to come uh, play nice with uh, with Wedge. So Wedge explains the plan. Gold Squadron will peel off four of theirs to go after the dropships that are still going to the Katana, while Rogue Squadron and the rest of Gold Squadron engage the Tie Fighters coming from the Adjudicator. Uh, so then we get a few pages of dogfight stuff. Uh, after the dust settles, uh, Wedge checks in on the detachment that went after the dropships. They nailed six of the seven, but one had already made it into the Katana docking bay. Uh, Luke, back on the katana, has been using his lightsaber to kind of cut out portions of the, the ceilings in the hallways uh, on the approach to the bridge to create kind of booby traps ready to drop on any incoming Imperials. Uh, the Republic tech guys uh, are, uh, they're, they're armed up. They're not soldiers, but hell, they can hold a blaster. So they're, they're posted up and uh, engage with the incoming Imperial squad uh, briefly. And then the sound of screeching metal Makes the blaster sound stop. Luke dropped the dropped the hammer on him. Uh, Luke feels their presence in the force as the remaining troopers split up in an attempt to fake out the heroes and outflank them. But even though Luke can sense them through the force just fine, something feels off about these presences. Uh, Too bad the Katana fleet wasn't made up of star galleons, Luke said. We really could have used those anti-intruder defenses they come equipped with. Uh, again, a little bit of world building. From Timothy Zahn. Now we now we have another spaceship that we don't know anything about, other than that it has built-in, like, Home Alone traps. <laughs> I guess. Just classic dumb shit, Luke Skywalker line. Like, <laughs> Gee, I wish the thing we had was something else. Yeah. Then it would be better. Yep. Um, but as they are making their way down the halls to set up a new defense to set up new defensive positions, they run across something that looks like a kind of a mini Scout Walker sitting derelict in the middle of a corridor, uh, no doubt left over from some rampage by a virus-crazed Katana crewman. Uh, Luke tries to use the Force to move it, uh, but it's either wedged in there real good, or Luke just fucking sucks and can't do it. Um, that's literally there's the a, text. There's an aside where he's like, <laughs> Master Yoda lifted his X-Wing out of a Dagobah swap watch, but Master Yoda had been far stronger in the Force than Luke's was. Yeah. It's like, yeah, just remind you, like, yeah, I remember when Yoda did that thing. Unfortunately, Yoda's much better at being a Jedi than Luke is. I do, I do love bringing up something from the original trilogy to then have your character not be able to do it. That's, also, uh, I'm getting sick and tired of uh, Luke whining about how he's not good at the Force. I mean, he has had like five years to figure this shit out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, you know, he hasn't had a teacher until uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's acting like he's still like a first-time driver. He should, he should have figured out things by now. 
That's a good point. Even I mean, if you don't he, have someone to teach nec- you. He doesn't necessarily have to be an a 800-year-old like Muppet to, to <laughs> be in tune with the Force. Right, right. Um, <laughs> Frankly, Leia's showing more promise at, at uh, being a Force user than he is. Yeah, and she, and she has just begun. Oh, I guess that's another thing. Like, they didn't uh, start her training until, I guess, five years after. Anyway, I don't know. Maybe it's one of those things that got activated with her pregnancy. Yeah, and she's doing all this while pregnant. She's girl bossing the hell out of She is Luke. kicking ass. Luke, as always, just, you know, whoa, three steps behind. Um, but the Imperials are approaching, and Han has an idea. So he gets into the little thing's cockpit and tests that blaster turret. It still has power and can be aimed. Um, and this... I don't mean to be one of those nitpicky science fiction guys, but what power supply is powering all of this stuff ultimately like boy batteries i guess but like this is 60 year old equipment that's been out in the middle of nowhere and i guess it's maintained by droids but like are they really fueled with 60 years worth of energy supply seems kind of overkill uh anyway like one of those things you read about like how game boy still works after decades of not being used (laughs) i guess so yeah uh, the Imperials uh, turned the corner and spotted the, the wreck of the little walker, so uh, most of the squad takes cover, while two point men approach to investigate, which is when Han unloads on the ones in cover while Luke laser chops the two guys who approach the wreck. So that takes, them, uh, that takes the soldiers down to three in that squad, and uh, Han and Luke head back toward the bridge. That's where everyone's kind of holed up. Uh, meanwhile, on the Judicator... Captain Brandi is uh, no longer having a good time. <laughs> the boarding action has uh, has failed as far as he can tell. They have not succeeded in their objectives yet. Uh, a lot of his TIE fighters have been destroyed by Wedge and Gold Squadron. And uh, reinforcements are still seven minutes away as the peremptory is making its way to the fight. So he decides... Peremptory gonna... has to be one of the worst names in this whole goddamn book. <laughs> It's it's not a good now Judicator. That's a good Star Destroyer name. That's a really good one. Uh, Chimera. That's fine. It's a monster out of mythology. I'll allow it. But yeah, Peremptory. It just that, yeah. That just seems a little bit like one of the like a cutesy poo like English name for something. You know, I don't know. That's like you know a, a, the like a prep school or something. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna look up the uh, the the exact definition of peremptory, which I have read before, but I couldn't tell you. You know, I I couldn't tell you exactly its definition. Uh, according here to a, a quick Google search uh, definition, uh, peremptory adjective insisting on immediate attention or obedience, especially in a brusquely imperious way. It would uh, be funny if your first search result was "It's the name of a ship from Dark Force Rising" by Timothy Zahn. <laughs> That's the definition. Yeah, so so really it's a word that you use in a kind of uh, pejorative sense to someone who's, like, being uh, unnecessarily domineering or whatever. Like, it's, that's not a word you would ever apply to yourself, much less to so a battleship. You have to use cool words like Judicator or, like, Armageddon Machine or Pussy Wagon or something like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, well, anyway, Captain Brandeis is committing the Judicator itself to the battle, so he's going to be moving it in to uh, deploy its turbo laser batteries on everybody. But just as the Judicator ponderously powers up its engines, alarms blare. Unidentified bandits dropping out of hyperspace in the rear. 
18 freighter and smaller sized craft. It's the Card Bunch. Um, and I realized, do they have a name for their organization, or is it is just Talon Cards? They should be people? called the Wild Cards, starring they should Talon. Be, <laughs> they should be called the the Wild Cards, starring Talon. Arrive. Mara leads the charge in a Z ninety five Starfighter as uh, she gives Denkin and Torv orders to intercept some of the uh, you know the, the the Judicator is sending out all the spaceships it has left to try to stop them, but it's just like recon ships and bombers, so they'll be pretty easy to now take I out. I swear that in like chapter twenty eight of this book, uh, Zahn is still making up like uh, wild cards because I've heard Torv before, but I don't think I've heard of yeah. Denkin. <laughs> Torv we've had before. Aves makes an appearance. Um, but yeah, Dankin is a new one. <laughs> so yeah, I think another one that, that I think, uh, I'll, I'll highlight when we get to it, that, that really okay. struck me is like, you can't just make up like additional wild cards this late in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, especially since we've, we've been to their base a couple times, like we've hung out with them a lot. Um, but she goes, uh, straight for the lower aft sensors, on the on the, the the great bulk of the Star Destroyer, uh, blowing it into a puff of vaporized metal and plastic, as it reads here, making the Star Destroyer blind on its underside. Mara dials into Card in the New Republic frigate, uh, and Card replies, "Right here, Mara. Thank you," which is code for "I'm fine." <laughs> which I I thought that was odd that they're using like code talk, and also the code talk is it. I don't know. It doesn't seem all that encoded. Um, but Mara gets the skinny on the situation from Card and Leia on the bridge of the uh, the New Republic uh, frigate. I was thinking of like with Phalia. Uh, the the code things are great is code for things are okay. On the things ship. are <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, after getting sort of the situation report from Card and Leia, she says like, "Yeah, we really ought to cut and run because it is a lost cause to get Luke and Han and everybody out of there if they can't get to that uh, docking bay." Uh, but just as she says, you know, all hope is lost, let's just skedaddle. Three dreadnoughts drop into real space, followed closely by another triad. Attention, New Republic forces. This is Senator Garm Bell Iblis aboard the warship Peregrine. May I offer assistance? Now, that's right, everybody. Pause here because I, I, I think I said this to you the afternoon uh, before we started recording. Like, I completely forgot that he that uh, that senator uh, bernie iblis had a first name and it was garm <laughs> it's garm that's right <laughs> and i think you said that you thought it was a different character entirely the, well there was yeah there's a line of dialogue uh earlier where like han was talking to lando about bell iblis and he just said like yeah well when i was talking to garm he said blah 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 and i was just like who the fuck is garm did i miss garm when did I meet Garm? Well, don't you remember <laughs> like, all the all those like uh, stickers and and, uh, and like uh, merchandise that said "Feel the Garm" on them? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I mean, you really couldn't go anywhere in uh, 1992 without uh, running into somebody wearing a Garmed and Dangerous T-shirt. I mean, it was everywhere. Garm fever. So, yeah. So yeah, he brought his uh, delegates from from Space Vermont to to join the uh, party, as it were. <laughs> That's and, right. And, and, and if I may, I, I'd like to take over for a, a brief moment because please, this was really like what I took most out of uh, this chapter because this whole scene with uh, with Leia like realizing that Bell Iblis is alive is yeah. crazy. 
because, okay, Leia stared at the comm speaker, a strange combination of surprise, hope, and disbelief flooding in, in on her. She glanced up at Card, caught his eye. He shrugged slightly, shook his head. I'd heard he was dead, he murmured. Leia swelled. So had she. But it was Belt Iblis's voice, all right. Okay, first of all, like, guy's been supposedly dead for, like, I don't know, 10 years, 15 yeah, we'll, years? Yeah, we'll say 10 years, yeah. Like, I don't think I would be able to recognize my grandfather's voice, who's been dead for a couple decades. Much less the the fucking uh, voice Some of a guy. backbench senator from <laughs> Space Vermont. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was, it was Bell Ibliss's voice, all right, or else an excellent copy. Garb, this is Leia Organa Solo. And, and I had a question, like, are they really on a first-name basis? Like, well, because remember, they... he was... Uh, so, Leia is, of course, the adoptive daughter of Bail Organa, who was one of the triumvirate of the original Rebel Alliance. It was Mon Mothma, Bail Organa, and Bell Iblis. So, presumably... I think that's not a reach. Uh, presumably, he would have, you know... Leia would have been bopping around, uh, you know, uh, with uh, with Bail Organa during their whole their whole time working together. I don't know. She she seems like she would be the one that would call him like a Garmard. <laughs> Garmbert? As, 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 as a show of disapproval. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, yeah I, I, guess, I guess you. I guess you have kind of a point, but it still was like, I don't know. It, the familiarity between the two seemed a bit forced. Well, what I thought was crazier was that Han didn't mention this at all. Like, I know that they didn't have a lot of time together before they had to go off on missions or anything, but he, he, he like, he, and, and this comes up in the text too. It says, um, uh, so Bell Iblis says, uh, Captain Han's Solo's... memory sort of slips sometimes. <laughs> Captain, so- yeah, to be Captain... honest, we haven't had much time since we got back to compare notes. I mean, it's deeply insane. The, I really, I need to be Leia and Han's marriage counselor, I think. I don't know. You're married. Don't you, like, uh, hide meeting Bernie Sanders to your wife? <laughs> but I do like how, I do like how there's a, a moment where it's like, oh, yeah, I haven't been officially requested from the yes. Republicans. <laughs> like, like, now, file the paperwork. You're now officially been requested. Yeah, uh, Bell Iblis is still the 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 preening prima donna. He always was. He's not going to deign to help out these desperate people unless it's an official New Republic. I was surprised there wasn't like a three-page fucking uh, aside where he was like haggling over whether or not he was going to join because he like wanted there to be like a stipulation that like fifteen dollar minimum space wage. Right. Right. <laughs> Uh, but, and, and, and here's, here's a great one. Um, so, you know, the official, the official request goes out and uh, says here, thank you, Captain, Bell Iblis said. And in her mind's eye, Leia could see the other's famous smile. Let's do some damage, shall we? Peregrine out. Bell Iblis had a famous smile? When did that? I mean, maybe it's, it's like how, uh, how Bernie had that, uh, bird that perched on him that one time. He did, and how he wore the those big gloves to the inauguration. He's, and he's, then uh, that was supposed to be that was like misogynistic somehow. That <laughs> what that was. Well, and it was. We won't get into that now. 
<laughs> we'll continue. My, my um, final joke about uh, about politics as they pertain to, to Bernie Iblis is that Near Tannen definitely works for Counselor Failure. Oh, <laughs> without Imagine a doubt. Imagine Bart out just like tweeting, <laughs> tweeting at Han Solo. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Failure had uh, had Near Tannen and Liz Smith in his uh, in his cadre of supporters for sure. Um, but uh, so Bell Iblis's six dreadnoughts they they enter the uh, enter the scrum. They encircle the Judicator and begin blasting into it. With uh, their disabling ion cannons as well as turbo lasers, uh, of course, ion cannons you might remember from the uh, Empire Strikes Back that they kind of scramble electronics and weapons and make them difficult to use. So it's a kind of disabling ray. Um, but this I should. I was wondering them... what that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's that thing where they they the, the big cannon that shoots the star destroyers so that the transports can escape from Hoth? Uh, it's like a smaller version of those things. Um, but this should buy them. Should have included that context. It's just, hey, you can just throw in ion cannons, you know. You don't need to know. Uh, well, this should buy them the time they need to get Han and company off the katana and beat a retreat. But Leia doesn't want to just leave the fleet there. The card snorted. I take it you haven't had a chance to count how many dreadnoughts are left out there? See, Card did a little sensor scan. There are just 15 dreadnoughts out of the original 200. Or I guess 194 if we count Bell Iblis's six. Grand Admiral Thrawn has already been here and already recovered almost the entirety of the Dark Force. Uh, Leia concedes that they need to recover their people and cut their losses, but Captain Virgilio has gone quiet. A second Star Destroyer has just arrived. The peremptory. The the, the stuck-up and uppity high and mighty. Uh, (laughs) Aves gives the order for Card's Bunch to uh, fuck off, and with Card's blessing from the Republic Frigate, they uh, they start uh, scrambling out of there. Mara though gets clipped by some laser fire, and her fighter is losing uh, air and, air and uh, power. And she's uh, trying to line up. She's going to be forced to eject, but she tries to line up her ship in a kamikaze trajectory before she does eject. But uh, after she ejects, she shoots out and uh, sadly into the into the ray of one of the ion cannons. So that fries all of her circuits in her escape pod. So she won't be able to to have her like pickup beacon going or anything. So she's dead in the water and and dark. I, to I bet what you're thinking is that's the end of Mar Jade. Well, you're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong. And they don't even let it dangle for very long. Um, Luke feels Mara's distress. White savior. Yes, Luke feels Mara's distress through the Force uh, on board the Katana, but uh, nothing to be done about that now. Lando fills them in on their situation. Uh, there's at least ten Imperials left. And one of the tech guys got wounded and is in really bad shape. But Luke says, I'll handle this. So then he steps out into the anteroom of the bridge. So there's like a, like a mudroom, I guess. Uh, you Midwesterners will know what I'm talking about. You, your house has a mudroom, right, right, Ronnie? I, I do like uh, Luke's reaction to Mara Jade getting like fried. And, and uh, Han remar- thinks to himself that, the kid was looking like he just lost his best friend instead of someone who wanted to kill him. <laughs> I thought about pointing that out, decided at the last second they had more immediate things to worry about. I, I love the idea that Han was about to say, you know, kid, you're acting, you're, you're acting like uh, she's your best friend, not somebody who's trying to kill you. <laughs> Look, it's like it's almost like it's like Han has never like had a friend who was dating someone who was really, really bad for them. Like this, this kind of thing happens, man. It's just you got. That's you just how I realize how like fucking sexless this book is because 
Like they can't. Zon can't just say Luke thought that Luke Martin is King horny, was hot. <laughs> right? <laughs> like that would explain everything. It would about like why why he considers why he feels drawn to her. She's yeah. a hottie. We she's, get it. She's We're, a good-looking woman. Yeah. I mean, we know she's a good-looking woman because Zon spent like <laughs> Zon two keeps... sentences describing her, as opposed to the customary zero sentences. Exactly. That's how you know that he wants to really paint a vivid picture of a of a sexy lady with a big, flowing mane of red hair. Um, she's not just some yellow-shirted alien or <laughs> gray-skinned alien. Not not just some kind of uh, city that includes three styles of architecture, one of them human. Uh, <laughs> but so Luke says, "I'll handle this." Steps out into the mudroom of the bridge. Um, the Imperials swarm at him, blasting away as he deflects everything with his lightsaber. And when we're, when they're all in there, all in that antechamber uh, ahead of the bridge, Luke hurls his lightsaber sideways to slash open the uh, the hull of the ship and expose it to the hard vacuum of space. Uh, Luke leaps back into the bridge just as the emergency doors slam closed, uh, triggered by this explosive decompression. And uh, so, of course, all those those Empire guys are left to struggle and strangle in, in cold space. Uh, serves them right. But they're safe for now. Well, he has to save a girl, so... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, they're safe for now, but also helpless to really do anything with the battle raging outside. Unless... Han has an idea. This is, of course, the famous Katana fleet. And what was it famous for? The, the, the whole this fleet. Is pretty, this is pretty funny how they set it up, though. Uh, yeah. Luke waved a hand helplessly. I don't know, he conceded. You're supposed to be the clever one. You think of something. Yeah, Han muttered, looking around the bridge. Sure, I'm supposed to just wave my hands and then M dash. And it's like he has a fucking house moment. Uh huh. <laughs> he felt a slow, lopsided smile spread across his face, where it's like. Lopsided smile. Do you have like a palsy or something, dude? <laughs> What's going yeah. on here? So he goes over to the to the control console for the rest of the fleet, and uh, they go looking down there, and they find that one of the dreadnoughts still has functional sublight engines. So Lando calculates an intercept course for the peremptory, and Han maneuvers the dreadnought into line, and then throws the throttle wide open. That's literally the phrase th- uh, Zahn uses: throws the throttle wide open. <laughs> <laughs> with uh, with the peremptory scrambled a bit from uh, some of Bell Iblis's dreadnoughts ion cannon fire, there's no way it can dodge or otherwise deflect the oncoming dreadnought. Which uh, and this was a very very weird choice here. Uh, I mean, this is of course like this is like kind of the, the big climax of the space battle at the uh, at the end of this. And here's how Zahn describes it. Uh, but with its electronic and control system still being scrambled by Bell Iblis's ion attack, there was also no way for it to move out of the way in time. Even from the katana's distance, the impact and explosion were pretty spectacular. Han watched the expanding fireball fade slowly and then turned to Luke. Okay, he said, now we're out of the fight. Like, he handles that in two sentences. Like, give us something. Give us, like, point of view on the peremptory of, like, the captain, like, dreading what's happening or something or, like... Some kind of wind up. It was just really to use another the ten dollar word. Zon the Zon taketh away. I'm going to use another ten dollar word. The 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 demise of the peremptory came off rather perfunctory. Huh? I was going to say shittily, but sure. <laughs> anyway, 
<laughs> Over aboard the adjudicator. I think, I think that's like a show of how our minds work, respectively. <laughs> that's what you go that's... ten dollar words. I just go gutter words. Yep. Well, that's that's the. Uh, I mean, that's the 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 dance between our two energies, the yin and yang that that makes the show. Uh, aboard the adjudicator. Captain Brandi knows the jig is up, as he will not be able to last against all of Bell Eblis's dreadnoughts at once. But they'll be back, and this time with the crewed-up Dark Force. Hey, now, do you think that Brandi is, is a reference to Sequest DSV's Jonathan Brandis? Um, possibly. Maybe rest in peace. Or maybe, like, uh, I don't know, maybe Timothy Zahn went to Brandeis University or something. I mean, everything's a reference. I mean, that's we've true. Trained ourselves to to understand that everything is just <laughs> we've nothing we've, has been made up, fully formed. We've everything we've, is we've, just some ties to Tampa or something in Timothy Zahn's personal life. Right, we've driven ourselves into a conspiratorial uh, quagmire of trying to find the the connection and the reference to every little thing that we see. I don't know if you got a corkboard running, but I sure do. <laughs> buddy you better believe i got red yarn all over the place connecting this and that um but when now we go to chapter 29 the the aftermath of this this great conflict uh really not much to this chapter so this 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 literally recap will be pretty pages. quick literally three pages uh the quenfis quenfis uh, sent a repair team to uh, patch the whole that's such that... a stupid name <laughs> i know this, we can't keep harping on it we mentioned it last time but it is a very stupid name um, but uh, they, they send a team to patch the hole that Luke sliced into the katana so that then the lunchbot guys can leave the bridge and get to the docking bay. Uh, they have an X-Wing ready for Luke uh, in the docking bay, so he, he sets out and uses his Force Dar to find Mara Jade and recover her, and uh, you know, lucky her, since her derelict escape pod would have been almost impossible to find with Starship sensors, but of course Luke can use the Force. Uh, oh, you know what? This is uh this is this is uh in tandem this is this is a reflection of the time Mara found Luke stranded out in the middle of nowhere. Huh? And we say it's Timothy symmetry. Zahn's a bad writer. It's symmetry. It's narrative symmetry. Um well, Speaking of bad writing, uh uh it says Luke is wondering why it's been so important for him to rescue Mara in the first place. He didn't know. There was a lot of rationalizations he could come up with from simple gratitude for assistance in the battle. All the way up to saving of lives being a natural part of a Jedi's duty. But none of them was more than simply a rationalization. All he knew for certain was that he had to do it. Like, is he going through puberty or something? You, like, he doesn't yeah, understand dude. What, what his <laughs> hormones are? You have a what crush. You have a crush on a girl. It will make you do very stupid things and things you didn't think you would do. It's... <laughs> like, like, was I there mean, not... Was there not some moisture I, I, farmer girl that he had an eye on back home at any point? You fucking kissed your sister before you found out it was your sister. Come on. It's really astonishing. Uh, Luke is the eternal 11-year-old. Just no idea. No idea with any, about anything. Um, but, that's uh, why we love him. And we do love him. Uh, but Luke Luke picks her up find, and sees her safely aboard the wild card, which uh, then ferries her uh, speedily over to the that that reinforcement star cruiser finally arrived, and they 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 of course will have the uh, the good medical tech on the the great big capital ship. Um, Han gets on the horn to uh, call him back to the katana right away because you got to see this, Luke. From there we cut back to. Kabaoth and Thrawn and Thrawn laying into him 
thanks to your insistence on delaying me, we've lost the peremptory. I trust you're satisfied. Uh, then Kabeoth sasses him back pretty bad. And Peleon, in a funny moment, Peleon scooches closer to Thrawn to try to be closer to the Asalamiri uh, <laughs> that's behind his chair. Uh, I think that could be played for some good laughs in a movie version. Um, but Thrawn asks Kabeoth why exactly he's here. You know, Why did you come here to talk to me? And Kabeoth says this is all about making sure that Thrawn keeps his promises. And to that effect, he will be returning to Wayland and assuming command of the Mount Tantus project. Something Kabeoth was not supposed to know about. Uh, Thrawn says, like, oh, well, you know, I was just trying to spare you from any sort of unnecessary mental anguish or maybe some bad memories. But uh, Kabeoth bows up. He says, I no longer need you to care for my sensitivities. I am Kabeoth, Jedi Master. The force uh, which binds the galaxy together is my servant. And uh, Thrawn shoots back, and you are my servant. To which Kabeoth replies, Not anymore, Grand Admiral Thrawn. The circle has closed. The Jedi will rule again. And uh, I, I'm so tired. <laughs> I, I these these people, they're just like I. I react to the scene like I'm watching an episode of GI Joe and like fucking Cobra Commander Destro are screeching at each other. Yeah, like, yeah. None that's... of this is any recognizable like human bearing anymore it's just like fucking talking about mount tanis or whatever the fuck mount <laughs> i don't i don't care yeah i i cared when kabath was like doing his fucking uh mentally addled judge judy thing but now it's just like talking hushed tones about secret projects and like just yeah it, it's like two two chess players like going for a power play but none of them have any chess pieces and it's just like it's know, just stupid. it's just it's just two pawns chasing each other around <laughs> on the chessboard. And then you um, like have Polyon as like the eternal like audience surrogate, like just like oh he knows about the Mount Tanis project. Yeah. Oh god. Oh no. Like, who cares? Well the thing is like all of that like we're we're given context for what all that must actually be about only here at the end of the chapter. So Luke has gone back to the katana at, at Han's request. And they're they're examining the bodies of those Imperial troops who died during the uh, the you know the decompression episode on the uh, the bridge anteroom. And uh, he at last understands why they felt strange in his mind. Uh, Luke is this, like this line is really funny. Luke says, "I don't suppose, I don't suppose there's, there's any chance there... of a mistake." Yeah, he heard himself say. He heard him. I don't Great suppose. Writing. I don't suppose there's any chance of a mistake he heard himself say. I guess he's so... Beside him, Han shrugged. Well, he's got them doing a genetic check, but I don't think so. When you find out what the the ultimate uh, twist is, like, the idea that Luke would think that it's a mistake is just absurd. Yeah, yeah, honestly, we just need to read the rest of the chapter. uh, Because there's there's really not much, and this will do it. Luke nodded, staring down at the faces laid out before him. Or rather, the single face... That was shared by all of the bodies. Clones. So that's it, he said quietly. Somewhere the Empire's found a set of Sparty cloning cylinders and has gotten them working. Which means it's not going to take them years to find and train crews for their new dreadnoughts, Han said, his voice grim. Maybe only a few months. Maybe not even that long. Luke took a deep breath. I've got a really bad feeling about this, Han. Yeah, join the club. 
to be I concluded. Like, I thought he was going to say, like, laugh it up, Fuzzball, or this belongs in a museum, or just any of the fucking things that all these people say repeatedly throughout <laughs> Star Wars and Indiana Jones. <laughs> I don't, the I last mean, I've got a bad I've got a bad feeling about this appears in like every Star Wars because it has to. Yeah, actually, let's do a search right now for how many times that's shown up now. Bad feeling. What do we got? Oh, word! That only shows up uh, once in Dark Force Rising, but I know we at least had it a couple times in Air of the Empire for sure. Um, and we speaking of repeated phrases, we we neglected to. To bring up the fact that mentally crossing his fingers was brought up again in these <laughs> chapters. That's right. We had another put it on the big board. Mentally crossing their fingers. I think we we did actually see what the uh, the grand total of that was. Yeah, that's right. It was used six times <laughs> in this book. Using it once is abominable enough. Six <laughs> times. Making six it your goddamn go- times. Making it your go to your go to phrase. Well, that I think that brings us around to. The next portion of the show, which is our kind of our, our concluding thoughts on Dark Force Rising. Um, well, there's, there's plenty to say. I mean, there is. First of all, yeah. we, we need to unpack the final twist of the clones. Yes. Which, again, yes. like, how could Luke think that there's any chance of a mistake when he sees, like, 15 guys with the same face? Like, <laughs> who, are they wearing elaborate masks? Are they, I mean, they might be. You Are know, they siblings? Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, Luke, you're so fucking dumb. You're pretty dim. Pretty dim. I like that Leia's still doing the genetic check. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's, it's clones, man. And so here we go. So, you know, famously... All right. So, the Clone Wars, you know, kind of... We, we've talked a bit about how... That was so vaguely referenced in the original trilogy that no one really knew quite what to do with it. And that Zahn himself thought that it was a uh, a war against clones at some point during, you know, older public times right before the beginning of the Empire. Um, it turned out to be something dumber, as we found it, out. It did turn out to be something dumber, but it turned out to be something dumber that I think George might have cribbed from this. Because, like... This is very close to what the Clone Wars and the prequels ended up being. That there was an army that was created by the government of the Old Republic, which was turning into the Empire, to make stormtroopers. And here we have Admiral Thrawn using the cloning devices to make some stormtroopers. Uh, so, I don't know. I, I, mm, we, I, we definitely have to take a page out of our favorite movie, Fanboys, and uh, break into Skywalker <laughs> Ranch and interrogate Luke, uh, George Lucas to find out if he has, in fact, actually read the, uh, the, the Thrawn trilogy. We really do need to. I, I gotta know. Uh, I at least have to know if he's ever read like you know, the, the outline or an executive summary or anything. But I, I would, I would, I don't know. That that all seems so close to. There are compelling what, arguments for or against, like, uh, yeah, him reading the these, yeah, like yeah. the 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 argument against is like he had so much, he has so much to do on any given day, like, like coming up with new racial caricatures for the Star Wars movies that he simply does not have the time to like sit down and read like poorly written fan fiction about his own <laughs> about his own he has to write his own poorly written fan fiction thank you very much 
Um, but four is like George Lucas is the, the exact kind of weird nerd that would read these fucking books. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I also, think, he uh, seems to have like a sense of ownership enough over Star Wars that he would be like, "I want to see what these uh, these follow ups are all about." Right? What are people doing with my my beautiful scenarios and situations created by George Lucas? Uh, yeah. Um, but to kind of, I guess, kind of give like uh, you know our overall impressions, I I have a few critiques. <laughs> I have I have a uh, I've been thinking about this. I, it actually came up over the dinner table tonight. Because I was talking with uh, with my wife about how we're recording the last episode of the uh, the Dark Force Rising season, and I have a lot of thoughts about it. And she, of course, had very little patience. She doesn't want to know anything about this. Um, but yeah, Jesus Christ, man! You talk about this with your wife only briefly. I, I don't inflict it on her very much. She did come downstairs last night when I was editing and overheard some of our our sparkling conversation, and uh, she said, "Never, I would never." listen to this <laughs> so <laughs> my supportive wife ladies and gentlemen she actually is very supportive i'm not i'm not going to throw her under the bus she's wonderful um but i was kind of i was kind of talking with her about like how the so this book has major major second part of the trilogy itis it is a big sagging damp squib between what I hope to say is two more sort of vital and active bookends, you know, with Heir of the Empire on one end and The Last Command on the other. We'll see if The Last Command actually does anything. But as far as I'm this is the sagging, soggy middle, for sure. And I don't know if that's to do with, like, did, did Zahn kind of lay out his full outline of everything and then in the course of like working out how it would break it out into three books. Like it just ended up kind of shuffling all the dumb stuff into the middle or something. I just, I don't know just because it doesn't seem, you know, I mean, Timothy Zahn is of course a a master of, of literature and, and American letters and will be studied for thousands of years, but this just was not up to the, it's going to feel odd for me to say this is not up to the high standards of heir to the empire just in terms of structurally like structurally it did not make a lot of sense at all even though it had a much more i think a much stronger kind of narrative core to it in that the the madcap race for the dark force right that's a kind of a that's a pre you know it's still stupid but it's a it's a fairly (laughs) it's a fairly straightforward narrative sort of Thing to, to have your characters orbit around. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I, 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 I guess that's kind of the broadest critique I have of all this. And I have a few more specific ones, but I, I want to hear what you have to think about it, Ronnie. Like, in the pl- in, in, as, a, as a novel in a trilogy, how does this work for you? Well, uh, you often hear of, like, the sophomore slump, uh, particularly with... Uh, film directors and, and musicians and I would say that this yeah. is definitely a slump and, and the two words that I would I would use to describe this book are boring and stupid. Um, <laughs> I, I would I would argue that uh, that Air of the Empire was only stupid. It it sure. wasn't particularly boring. I think sure. because we were like constantly meeting new characters, uh, whereas whereas in this we're we're sort of settling into 
the characters that we've met and finding out that there's actually less to them than meets the eye. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think my broadest critique, my, my most incisive critique, is actually that that Thrawn himself has taken a backseat in this book and has decayed severely from the uh, from the genius tactician who, right. who uh, manages his uh, his subordinates effectively and and uh, bases uh, military strategy on, on art. I mean, for God's sake, whatever happened to the art of it all, man? He never looked at any art in this one. You're right. Oh, no, uh, did he... Uh... I guess he like mentioned something about like no grease sculpture at some point or whatever, but like yeah, Which he was. Which brings me my next point. Fuck the <laughs> no grease. I hate them. We we brought this before, up every time we before had we to get talk into, about them. Before we get I into hate the no grease, so much. Before we get into the no grease and kind of expand on our thoughts on that, I, I want to say one more thing about dumb incompetent Thrawn. I think it's very funny that yes, Thrawn was noticeably. You know, he had the wrong end of the stick. His predictions never came out. His uh, his plans very seldom worked out exactly. Um, he always was yeah, getting what, like... What, what is he, the uh, Jeb Bush uh, 2016 campaign, folks? <laughs> Shut up, that's... You're at, you, you hit your limit. <laughs> but, Fine, but, Dad. Uh, in, the, in the midst of all that, he wins! He, he gets the MacGuffin! Like, it doesn't matter that he was stupid and, 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 like, he wasn't the genius or anything. He still got the MacGuffin. So, like... Well, yeah, and the way he gets it is so abrupt. It's like... And it, yes, it's very Yeah, I weird. did a scan. It turns out he has all the dreadnoughts. Right! Like, uh, you know, so here, here's what I have in my notes. That it was a strangely anticlimactic resolution to the Dark Force plotline. There's a conflict on site, but over a deal that's already been done... Where was the where were the Imperial recovery forces? When did they start? How long does it take to move these things since they all seem to need on-site repairs? I guess the ones that were left were the ones that, you know, didn't have their hyperdrives. Maybe I guess okay, I'll allow that. But um but it's also very weird that the Captain Hoffman stuff takes place entirely, you know, uh, scare quotes off-screen. Like everything we as the readers know about what happened when they captured the gambling captain off of the submarine comes from Han yeah, and Lando's suppositions. Yeah, yeah, speaking of which, like that chapter, like Leia suggests that he's been tortured for the information. Then Talon Card immediately says, like, give it the quickness of it. He would probably just give it a bunch of money. It's like, well, I mean, sure. Okay. Did he do that? <laughs> we don't know. I don't know anything about Captain Hoffman. It does seem like, Am I so supposed for... to care? For a for a book that has or for a series that has kind of like, it's not like there aren't any imperial point of view characters. I mean, Admiral Thrawn is one of the main characters. Not only is he a main character in the antagonist sense, he's a main character in that he's one of the main characters that we get any sense of interiority about. Right? Zahn writes his scenes as though he's one of the people we're experiencing the story through. Well, if nothing so, else, I think the closest thing the book has to an overall POV character is play on. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's constantly, so, he's constantly reacting to, like, you know, the, the madcap antics of, of Thrawn and Kabea. Right, and bringing up things that the reader has kind of pointed out to themselves, you know, presumably while reading. And But what all this makes very strange is that, so presumably, getting Captain Hoffman and getting the coordinates of the Dark Force is a major, major plot point for a point-of-view character, Admiral Thrawn, and we never get a point-of-view chapter about it. We never get any kind of, even like an aside with like Thrawn chuckling 
as he, you know, walks out of the room with the, you know, the coordinates or anything. And it's like, surely a coup of this magnitude, like, that could have been a lot of fun to see Thrawn kind of, like, you know, feeling feeling his oats, right? Like, have a scene where Thrawn is like, I am, a, I am such a genius, I did it. You know, that could have been a lot of fun, I think. Uh, but I would love to have not... the literal dialogue. I'm such a genius, I did it. <laughs> it's just really, it's a very odd choice. Um, but speaking of odd choices, uh, devoting a third of this book, it felt like, to the Nogri was just such a fucking... I hate it, them so much. I hate them so much. They're not compelling. See, the only reason I think, the only reason Zahn, the only reason Zahn would kind of choose to do that is I think he's using it as a showcase for world building. Because I think we mentioned before, because like he actually goes to the trouble of describing a lot of the, the buildings and kind of the landscape on Honogur, the, the Nogri plotline, in a way that he has not shown a lot of interest in in other settings and other places. So it was almost like, okay, I'm going to show them what I can do. Here's, like, my thought-out alien species I've been thinking about. Here, and here's the one I'm introducing. Well, it was a mistake. It was a mistake. You shouldn't have There's done just, that. It's not meaty enough. It can't carry that much of the novel. And when you get down to brass tacks, when you get down to the actual, like, points that move the story forward about the Nogri and, and Leia and all that bullshit. You could do that in two chapters easily. And it and not, look, it's not like, it's not like Thrawn hasn't created good characters before. I mean, Thrawn sure. obviously, but also like, you know, crazy Jedi hobo, Bernie Sanders, even like Mara <laughs> Jane and Talon Carter. I was going to say Mara Jane and Talon I mean, Card. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's uh, created good characters, but like creating an entire, Entire like uh, a planet and and, uh, and like society of of uh, gray faced losers. He he drops the ball. Yeah, and he he drops the ball, but also is still running with the ball after he's dropped it. <laughs> because I I really think because in part of it is like, well, did he need some place to park Leia for the duration? Because he also doesn't quite know what to do with her. And here's here's how I think this should have gone right. All that space you took up with Nogri stuff, just you get that out of the way in the first third of the book. Because what? Because where are they at by the end of it? By the end of it, they're like, they get off of uh, Honegger and the Nogri are going to, they agree that the Empire has betrayed them and they're going to pretend to Thrawn as though they escaped and that they're going to try to hunt them down. That and that puts your story that puts that plot line in a holding pattern for as long as you want, pretty much. Like it, it, it doesn't. They you know, combined, they should have combined the Leia plot line with the the, the Ben Sanders plot line because. Well, that was that was my next that was my next thing. What they should have done then is then have Leia can for the rest of the the rest of the novel she can be doing the diplomatic wrangling stuff. Like we could get like Leia uh, getting into heated conflicts with Phalia. Or something, kind of like build a little more, build failure a little more out as you know, less of a one-dimensional shitty guy. Uh, I, or I yeah, bet, I bet Zod is like kind of pissed off that like he established that in the first book Leia was pregnant because it really restricts <laughs> like all like what she's able to actually do. I mean, like, yeah, he he obviously doesn't understand how pregnant women work, but he does like know in the back of his head. Well, I can't really have her like actively involved in action sequences too much or else people will right. be like well what the fuck is going on 
Right, right. So she's he, kind of stuck to these like boring talky scenes. He he knows he knows enough that like he knows that she's in limited capacity. He knows, in, in he knows some what'll ways. get him get get people to yell at him for. Right, right, right. He knows that. But they could have like they could have given Leia more interesting, boring talky scenes elsewhere in the story rather than just talking to the Matroc again and again and again. It was so. I, I hate. Uh. Here's a here's a good one. Which Nogri do you hate the most? <laughs> um, I say I gotta hate Karabak the most. I'm gonna uh, go with Karabak too because he's just fucking useless. Because without him, none of this would have happened anyway. And he's fucking useless. And he's a sniveling little, you know, whatever. Uh, Matroc is right up there though with like. The the <laughs> I mean just the, the the classic uh boring village elder kind of character, I guess, but just boy, that was and the th- and the whole thing does Chewie dirty too. Chewie had nothing to do Hey wait a minute, Chewie wasn't even at the climactic battle. Was he? No, he was. He was? Okay, okay. He oh that's right, he was anything. on the bridge. He just didn't do anything. God damn it, Zon. Um yeah, so okay, I think Chew- that I think if nothing else, this book shows us how important author notes are, because <laughs> with author notes, we were able to have a basic understanding of what Zod's intentions were, yeah, and you know his defense at like when we go and say something is like really stupid and makes no sense, we at yeah. least had an inkling of what he was trying to go. What he was for. trying, right? We knew what he was trying whereas, to do whereas and whether with this, or not we're flying blind. <laughs> like imagine the author notes about like him explaining why he's wasting so much time on the Nogri. Like if oh. we knew why he was doing that, maybe we'd we'd probably still hate it as much, but we'd have a better understanding, right, of what he was attempting to do. Yeah, I mean, it might even be like it might even be something like you know, like ah, uh, well, uh, when I was initially creating the Nogri, I I had notes from an earlier non-Star Wars story about a an honorable warrior race that I thought was pretty good, but couldn't work it into anything else. So I thought this would be a good chance to. I would believe. I read the fine print of my contract, and I realized I actually get paid by the word. So <laughs> here's eight chapters on the Nogri. Yeah, Eat so it. that that's that's my if I'm Betsy. If I'm Betsy Mitchell, and I'm 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 calling Zahn into my office to go over this manuscript he handed me, here's what I'm saying: cut out, like simplify all the Nogri stuff to two chapters. Leia gets to do other stuff involving the diplomatic situation about the New Republic, which we still don't know anything about, really, other than like, and we don't we never heard from Admiral Akbar, except for like one time. Guantanamo. He's in space Guantanamo. Um, well, think about that. That could have been cool. That could have been Leia. Could have been doing investigating, like doing her own investigation into the stuff around Admiral Akbar back on Coruscant after she got back from the Nogri planet. Boom! There's something for Leia to do that would be way more interesting than just spinning your wheels again and again and having two, two scenes where Thrawn surprises them by arriving at the village in as many chapters. <laughs> I will never get over that. I will never get over that. That was such. That's bullshit. Again, I think the comparison between Thrawn and Colonel Klink is instructive because it always feels yeah. like Thrawn is like doing inspections and he's and like the heroes get one over on him every yeah. time. Yeah. But he thinks that he's like doing okay because no one's escaped from the from the Stalag. 
<laughs> so what I think, um, I think a valuable exercise for us to do right now as we're kind of, you know, we've got our concluding thoughts. Ronnie, I, I'm a positive person. I try to be a source of light and energy to the people around me. I try to be a source of uh, constructive energy in the universe. So what are some highlights from Dark Force Rising for you? What What are some moments that you really did like a lot and you got to hand it to, to Zahn about? I liked when that uh, that uh, shadow monster got set on fire with liquor. That was pretty was good. I was highlight. not expecting that. <laughs> that I got. I mean, that's like my favorite part of the book. Honestly. I I never would have I never would have expected having like Han Solo setting an invisible space monster on fire in a bar fight. Uh, but that's pretty damn good. I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, also I, the whole scene, the whole scene earlier where Han is like buying time by haggling over liquor uh, uh, years with the bartender. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good. That that I could I'd say that's overall really, in general, I'd say in general, like the Han stuff was probably the best. Well, once again, it's where Zahn's interest is and where he's strongest is with his with Han Solo as a character for sure. And that was one of that was one of my highlights was I like the I like the Han and Lando giving each other the business. As we've as we've talked about, like the scenes where Han and Lando have back and forth, I think actually capture the tone and energy of those characters pretty well. And I think uh, season one we talked about like what uh what characters uh, Zod has the best voices for and I would say Han and Lando are at the top yeah. of the list. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And then like, I mean, it, uh, yeah, dis- Luke discounting is maybe in the middle of the list, and, and Leia is like towards the bottom, right? Um, and of course, with the characters he's created, you know, he's the guy behind it, so you know, he gets to do whatever he wants with the uh, with those, I guess. But I think you're right. Of George Lucas, if you got four ratings on the characters he created, <laughs> he really has no idea what to do with Palayon. <laughs> I uh, I also I'll say Travis, I like... don't don't even get me started on Travis. <laughs> don't even get me started on Travis. Uh, D- Timothy Zahn ruined Dravis. Um but one one of my highlights was uh, the the end of Borsk Failia as a as a as a plot thread. Um, and that that's all coincides with a low light, which is just being so tired of Borsk Failia. But the fact that he has met his end, at least as far as we know, you know, he's not going to be on the council anymore. I would presume that that was nice. Thank you, Timothy. Thank you. We had to, we can scratch that guy off of our, you know, off of our list of things to pay attention to or have, you know, foisted on us. Um, let's see. Well, I think we've already, we have mentioned how we both enjoyed uh, Kabeoth doing his Judge Judy routine. That was pretty good. I, I, I like George Kabeoth in general, even though I kind of talk shit about his last scene with Thrawn. Because he is just sort of like this cartoonish uh, presence in a book that is trying to be fairly serious it's just like it's like zod was went like what if i just included an insane man into the plot and then i could like <laughs> chalk up any sort of inconsistency or like uh confusing motivations by the fact that he's not sane yeah 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 it, it does add, like i still like, have uh... no idea what his like end game is other than like Becoming the Magneto of Jedi. Well, that does seem to be where he's where he's headed. Yeah, um, but he's gonna do it with babies. That, that, I don't, I don't think that's gonna work, Joris. Well, I think well he's gonna do it with clones because he's over there gonna be 
See, that that was what they were dancing around with, like, you know, Thrawn being like, oh, I didn't want to tell you about it, because uh, I thought it might Can bring up bad memories. Can you make clones of the Jedi? I presume. I mean, you know. Well, the, don't, the they mini- only ha- don't they, like, not have souls or whatever? The Jedi? No, the uh, clones. clones. Well, who says Jedis need souls to do Jedi stuff? I would assume, considering the whole, like, spiritual metaphysical aspect of it, I mean... Yeah, but the Force inter... The force interpenetrates everything. It's it's in the stones. It's in the X wings. It's in the the moon. Yeah, not damn dirty clones. Well, you don't know that. They're still made of stuff. It binds the galaxy together. I don't know. We'll have to. They're see. like a, they're like identical twins. They're they only have one soul. Well, look, Joru's Kabaoth clearly has force powers. So in the in the reality that Timothy Zahn has set up. Yeah, clones can use the force. Oh yeah, I forgot that Joris Kabeoth is actually a clone. <laughs> well, that's that's why that's why uh, Thrawn was darkly hinting about like why he didn't tell him about the Mount Tantus project. He was like, oh, I didn't want to uh, bring up any weird feelings you might have about uh, clones. <laughs> Does he know he's a clone? We don't know that yet. Um, I think that might be something he finds out, perhaps. And and uh, it's gonna like it's gonna culminate in like a she's all that thing where he's like. Am I a clone? Am I a fucking clone? <laughs> exactly. See, this is why we're going to... And gonna... like, yeah, you were a clone at first, but I really have feelings for you now, man. That's right. That's, uh, you know, people people really... It was controversial when we cast Rachel Lee Cook as George Kabeoff for our production, but I think it's going to pay off. I, I think it really is. God, so that uh, means Thrawn would be played by Freddie Prince Jr. Again, That's great casting. Poor choice. Very poor choice. Agree to disagree. Although he is already, he already is like a voice of the Star Wars universe. So, oh, is he some kind of? Is he a cartoon guy? Yeah, he's absolutely a cartoon guy. Let me look it up. All right, Uh, all right. Here we go. Ron is looking up. He's like only doing voice acting now because he had a bad experience on the show Twenty Four. Yeah, he voices (laughs) he voices Canon Jarrus. Woo! Canon Jarrus. All right. Who is uh, one of those uh, Jedi that survived Order 66, apparently. Oh, yeah, one of those. Yeah. One of those thousands and thousands of Jedi. Says he carried a blaster and he used a lightsaber that had to be assembled so people wouldn't know he was a Jedi. All right. I'll allow that. That's kind of neat. I don't know. Gunslinging Jedi. That's kind of cool. Like like Kyle Katarn from the uh, Dark Forces computer game series, which would have been released after Dark Force Rising. Just huh. wait until we start covering some of the computer games. Oh, brother, I am ready for it, man. I was all over that shit in the nineties. Um, well, I don't know. So we, yeah, we've done some highlights and some uh, so some lowlights. I think we've we've done a pretty good job, sort of rounding out our our general thoughts. I I know that you you gave this two stars. On your Goodreads review. Yes, on, on Goodreads full... I gave it two stars. I'm, I'm going to read my uh, Goodreads review. Please uh, do. And I, I will I will note for the lines. audience, this is a full star downgrade from Heir to the Empire, which we both agree was a solid three-starer. Yeah, two stars. Definitely not the Empire Strikes Back of the series. Although it picks up near the end, there's simply too many chapters devoted to set up or establishment of shit that isn't particularly interesting. The Nogri shit in particular should have taken a third of the time. That's my review. Then there it is, and that really does that really does say everything. 
Uh, well, Ronnie, I, I, do you feel accomplished for us having made our way through Dark Force Rising? I, I feel like we, we stuck to our guns and we, we honored our commitment <laughs> to I one think another. That comparing Dark Force Rising to Empire Strikes Back is like instructive because it shows yeah. how like bad this is relative to Empire Strikes Back, <laughs> which is like really the high water mark of like, uh, like second installments and in trilogies and really sequels in general. Sure. It's just sort of like raises the stakes, uh, has a scintillating uh, a cliffhanger ending, and it ends on. And you know, uh, as Dante Hicks said in in, the, in Clerks, uh, it it ends on such a down note because that's what life is—a series of down notes. Whereas <laughs> this ends on sort of like you know, clones, and I don't know what to do with clones. I mean, there's the there's the down note of you know, Thrawn now has control of hundreds of new starships so i guess then they like hedges like well you know it's it's only it's only a battle it's not a war so yeah they they hedge it you're right you're right yeah it it feels like an afterthought in its own book the whole dark force yeah the thing that everyone's been chasing when you get and when you get granular with it it's just like another like item that thrawn has and like doesn't really make a difference storytelling wise because we don't really know what his inventory of items is like <laughs> that's true is 200 dreadnoughts or however many like how much is that comparable to star destroyers how many star destroyers does he have like i don't know how much power the new republic has so right i it's it's like two sides of a battlefield and neither of them are defined very well yeah, so we know for like say the New Republic. So oh, so at the end of Heir to the Empire, right? Just just a few, I guess we'll say like a couple of months ago. Uh, space months. Space months. The New Republic ended up losing forty odd capital ships that have to be repaired and refitted, so they're like out of commission because, of course, the mole miners, you know, crash through the and like control what systems. capital ship? What are capital ships compared to dreadnoughts? I don't know. Well, a dreadnought is a what's type a of capital ship. Rate? Yeah, so the capital what's ship would just cover rate? everything that's not a fighter, I guess. But the whole the whole thing is very unclear. Yeah, so we don't know what this means for the balance of power in the galaxy at all. So, like, what are the stakes? Well, we don't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, say what you will about the original Star Wars movies. Like, the stakes were pretty like understandable. Like, holy right. shit, there's this big Death Star out there. We got to destroy it, or else it'll destroy planets. Right. Yeah, it'll, then, it'll kill, you know. Oh shit, it's another Death Star. We got to destroy it before it destroys <laughs> planets. And also I'm and then, sad about then, my dad. Yeah, and then sandwich in there is like we got to keep our friend from being uh being frozen art in a fat man's palace. <laughs> right. Yeah, I so so what I can, what I think I can say is that at the end of it all I'm looking forward to rounding out the the first leg of our of our ongoing mission of uh, you know celebrating and exploring the over of Timothy Zahn. I'm glad to have Dark Force behind us, but I'm still I will say I'm still interested to see where Tim is going. How is he going well, to I, stick? I am I am too. If only yeah. because I know that by virtue of it being the last book in the trilogy, it has to actually come to some sort of conclusion. Right. Like, there has to be some this, kind this of... This was before, like, the MCUification of, of like, fiction where nothing ever ends. Like, there yeah. has to be, like, some sort of concrete 
ending for the trilogy because, like, he didn't know that there was going to be, like, two more books after this. You right. know what I mean? Right. He didn't know that. Yeah. Well, he, he didn't know so, that there were ever going to be other Star Wars books, you know, for all he knew. Yeah, so, like, Zahn is going to be forced to, like, come up with an ending whether he likes it or not. Yeah. And yeah. and I think wrapping some stuff up will be infinitely more interesting than just teasing out, like, no Greek crap and, you know, like, a lot of the wheel spinning that was in this second book. Right, that was wheel spinning. That's exactly the term for it. There's just so much wheel spinning and time wasting <laughs> and all in service of kind of a shaggy dog story because it turns out they get there to get the thing and the thing already got got. So anyway, I mean, this, this that, definitely suffers. This definitely suffers from like Zahn knowing that he has the third book in the offing. <laughs> right. So he like, doesn't he have knew to, that he could, he knew that he could like slow roll things as long yeah. as he like, yeah, as long as he just came to a, 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 a climax and conclusion with the third book. Right. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Well, and with with all that together, uh, we'll 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 leave you all with the uh, with this a, a final I guess a final kiss off to Dark Force Rising. Don't uh, you know? Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you. And uh, we're we're looking forward with with golden optimistic eyes toward the possibilities that lay dormant in the upcoming. Uh, the Last Command, the final book in the Thrawn trilogy. So you know what that means, everybody. It's uh, it's season break time. Me and but Ronnie, that we uh, that, that that doesn't mean that uh, there will be no more content. Uh, I mean, there will be like a, a an actual break of like a, a month or so. But in between seasons, <laughs> we have our customary bonus episodes that I want to talk about for a moment. Please, um, we've got at least two uh, that we're doing. Um, one of them is a, a discussion of the, the uh, I believe, Oscar award-winning film uh, Fanboys. Uh, about <laughs> yes, I, uh, Star yeah. Wars Fanboys. I believe uh, that took home the gold for sound editing. It, it definitely won some, uh, some Moon Men uh, from MTV and, and maybe some Golden Popcorns from uh, Nickelodeon. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. But yeah, yeah so we're, we... we we're we're doing Sorry. fanboys because I forced Daniel to watch it because I've seen it multiple times and I wanted to spread the sickness. <laughs> and boy, did you! Uh, whoo! What a well you'll you'll be able to hear all of our thoughts about fanboys. Yeah, on that upcoming bonus episode. And, and then and I actually fan, fanboys. This... Oh, sorry. Please. No, go ahead. I was going to say fanboys erase my brain so completely that I forget what the other bonus episode we have planned is. Well, I'll let you know right now. Um, it's another film. It's uh, it's perhaps a, a better film in many respects. It's uh, it's a growth out of our our fascination with the career of C three PO himself, Anthony Daniels. Oh and yes, how he has done very little outside of being C three PO, and one of the things he's done is he portrayed a priest in a nineteen ninety British comedy horror film titled "I Bought a Vampire Motorcycle." Yes, <laughs> one of the and we're and we're not kidding when we say this is what one of two non C three PO credits for Anthony Daniels. I mean, it's sad just how synonymous this man is with the gay golden robot. Yeah, it was like it was like uh, this and like a couple uh, uh, 
iterations of Prime Suspect. Uh, the, yeah, the, uh, he 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 didn't even have any pre C three PO credits. C three PO is his earliest credit, and for the next forty five years, <laughs> that was that man's life. <laughs> Except for I bought a vampire motorcycle and Prime Suspect. Yeah, now I'm looking at uh, Anthony Daniels' Wikipedia, and it says. He, he was working in the theater, and he was invited to meet George Lucas, who was casting for Star Wars. Daniels at first turned down the interview, but was persuaded by his agent to meet Lucas. Imagine if he hadn't been persuaded by his agent. He would have been, like, dead in a ditch somewhere, <laughs> like, 30 years ago. Or you know, or maybe he would, you know, have a have a nice, you know, uh, handyman business in, 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 in Button-Upon-Cork in, in fucking Shire, England. It also says that he hated 2001 A Space Odyssey so much that he walked out after 10 minutes and demanded his money back, so fuck him. <laughs> he, was, he was like, Oi, I came here to watch the Spaceman movie. What's this monkey nonsense? Oi. <laughs> yeah, why, why didn't this science fiction film have more gay robots in it? That's right. And then, and then he knew he had a mission. But anyway, so yeah, so uh, we'll be taking a little season I, break. Just, just one more thing. I, I oh. do like how the... the uh, the Wikipedia has even had, like, in 2011 interview, Daniel said that he now regards 2001 as a masterpiece. <laughs> like, like, because apparently Lucas forced him afterwards to watch 2001 to oh, study Hal 9000's voice for his gay robot voice. Oh, wow. Okay. I, huh. I, think, I think this Vampire Motorcycle episode of the podcast will also be our our uh, exhausting dive into the life and times of Anthony Daniels. <laughs> by which be, I mean we yeah. we read out some of his uh, Wikipedia entry and, and make fun of him. I am definitely going to be returning to the well of the Internet Archive to find old issues of Starlog magazine for any interviews with Anthony Daniels, 100%. Um, so that will be what, what I'm doing on my summer vacation uh, over here during our season break, but uh, keep an eye out for those bonus episodes, uh, and also keep an eye out for when we get uh, get started with season three and the last command, the stunning conclusion of Timothy Zahn's Thrawn trilogy. Until then, uh, may the spaceways be ever at your back, and uh, from all of us here at Thronderdome, we love you and cherish you, dear listener. Uh, good night.